I'm just talking, babbling. This is what you came here for, isn't it? Hello everyone and welcome back to So I Got My BFA dot dot dot. I'm not actually sure if me saying the dot 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 is necessary, but I feel like it gives the illusion that I have more to say afterwards, which hopefully is what I'm going to do on this podcast. I'm Kelsey McFall, and I am the host of So I Got My BFA, dot dot dot. Should I stop saying it? I feel like it's not cool. I feel like only I think it's funny. <sighs> Fine, I'll just... What, anything to please you guys. This is a podcast that I talk about all the things I feel qualified to talk about because I recently graduated with my BFA in musical theater. Woo! Recent graduate during COVID, so now I'm at home filming a podcast. Yay! Um, thank you so much for coming back to this podcast. If you if you've listened to the first one and you're back for seconds, thank you guys so much. If you're new. All you have to do is listen to one more episode. It's so easy. It's 30, 38 minutes long. You can catch up. Super easy. The basic premise of this podcast is that I go through things in the entertainment industry that I feel like I ha am allowed to have an opinion on because I have my BFA. And like I said in the first podcast, everyone's allowed to have an opinion. I don't know why the diploma makes me feel more qualified. But um, again, I do have it sitting right in front of me just to remind myself that I did this for four years and I survived. So if you know from the last podcast, it has a basic format. I talk about my weekly obsession and then I talk about a musical of the week and then I play a game and I do an advice column and ha 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 it's so fun. It's the second episode so we're gonna do a, a couple more things. We have a very important thing to talk about which was the Tony nominations, the 2020 Tony nominations coming out this past week and I have some thoughts so I'm gonna share that with you. But first guys I have some very exciting news! I am moving back to New York so by the time this comes out, I will be on my way to New York. We are driving up there and I will be on my way. And by the time my next episode comes out, episode three, I will be living back in New York. That's so exciting. I was not supposed to come back to Texas. Um, I thought I was going to graduate and live it up in New York and audition and work a minimum wage job and audition my heart out. COVID had other plans for me, so I came back and I came back to Texas, but now I'm going back and I'm gonna start living my good old adult life. So that's really exciting news for me. Okay, now moving on to a new segment. Uh, my bloopers from last week. So if you didn't catch them, I'm just gonna point out everything that I uh, got wrong, didn't say, didn't know. I'm just gonna point them all out so that you can see all of the flaws that I made even if you didn't catch them. I just wanna remind you of them. I've been thinking of what to call this segment. The only thing that comes to mind is like Kelsey's cracks, but that sounds kinda bad. So maybe I shouldn't use that. So I don't know, you guys, that are listening to this are mostly my friends, so if you have suggestions as to what to call my blooper reel, then um, let me know. First blooper. <sighs> I feel ashamed of this, but also I feel like it's a common issue that happens when we're talking about the sound of music and the characters in the sound of music. I think I called Liesl Luisa like 50 times. I definitely said that Rolf looked into Luisa's eyes at the end of the play, and that's just wrong on so many levels. Louisa is not the eldest daughter. She's only 13. Rolf should not be looking into any of those younger girls' eyes except for Liesl. 
So I thoroughly apologize. I definitely called her Louis. But I mean, like, can we not name our children names that are too similar to each other? Also, I maybe I'm thinking of like Fantastics or on the brain. Um, I don't know. I don't know why Louisa was just the name that wanted to come out of my mouth. But her name is Liesel. I I'm aware that her name is Liesel, and we're just gonna let that one slide by. Another one that we have to clarify guys I'm so sorry I didn't uh, I just feel like a horrible MT student that I had never seen ragtime and that I didn't know anything about it and I had all the best intentions to watch the slime tutorial and if you catch that reference then you are truly a musical theater geek of it on YouTube and you know I really had all the best intentions of doing it and then I just Felt like I wanted to watch Gilmore Girls more than I wanted to start it. And so I didn't watch it this week, but next week for sure. I'll have watched it by next week. Well, I'll give you the lowdown. It'll be great. I'm sorry. Don't come for me. <sighs> okay. This isn't really a blooper, but it's something that um was pointed out to me by a very dear friend that I just simply did not mention in my summary of The Sound of Music. And I have good reason that I didn't mention it because this was not in the musical The Sound of Music. But I did, uh, I did disregard this and I didn't tell you guys that The Sound of Music is based off true events. Uh, the Von Trapp family actually existed, all of that actually happened to them. And I feel obligated now to tell you because my dear friend got mad at me because I didn't point it out. But I need to tell everyone that the Von Trapp family made it safely to Vermont and settled in Stowe, Vermont. So this is my official shout out to Stowe, Vermont. And Juliana, if you're listening, you're welcome. Another fun fact, not really a blooper, but fun fact that was brought to my attention was that the real Maria Von Trapp makes an extra appearance. She's like an extra in the Julie Andrews version of Said the Sound of Music, when she is singing I Have Confidence, the real life Maria Von Trapp is in the background. That was also pointed out to me by one of my dear friends. So thank you. And now I have shared that information with the world slash my four viewers to know. Okay, that's the blooper reel. It's sure, I'm 100% sure it'll come back next week. So just get ready. Now, before we get to my obsessions of the week, Guys, we need to have a chat because something very exciting and controversial came out this week. And you guys know what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the Tony nominations. The 2020 Tony nominations came out this past week. And I have some thoughts. So we're going to call this segment the Tony T Talk. I feel like we have some things to talk about, right? Let's start with what I'm sure is the most controversial thing that ha that came of the Tony nominations. What happened to the lightning thief? Guys, <laughs> I just feel like they got so gypped. Listen, there were only four musicals up for best musical. I understand that it might not get the best musical nom because let's be honest, the lightning thief is a theater for young audiences. It's a children's show. It was created with the intent that younger audiences were going to watch it, right? It's not going to be at the level of Moulin Rouge, uh, Beetlejuice, Mean Girls, Waitress. Like it's, it's just not, it wasn't created to 
survive on that platform. It was created to survive on a smaller platform with a lower budget. And that's just the way it was created. And it was done really well. I saw it both off-Broadway and on Broadway. And it, it works It works really well the way it was created. Okay, so no, it's not going to stand up to these other big musicals that have huge Broadway budgets that are meant to, you know, reach the masses and please the tourist, right? It wasn't just wasn't created for that. But tell me why this was the only musical eligible for a best score nomination and it didn't get one. That was a direct jab. I just don't understand. I mean, the score is amazing. It's incredible. Like, it's like it's a score that you can jam to in your car. And it, it has nothing to do with the fact that it was created for young audiences. It's just a really good score. And the fact that it didn't even get a nomination, and the only things that got nominations were plays, I, I don't know. I just felt like that was a... It was just like a really big jab, I feel like, and I feel like it deserves better. So hopefully by me talking about it on this podcast, it can reach somebody out there. You'll go listen to the album, you'll fall in love with it like I did, and you'll show the show some love. And I mean, the next thing I wanted to talk about is Best Actor in a Musical nominations. Aaron Tveit, congratulations, you won a Tony. Not actually, he does have to win 60% of the vote, but he's the only one nominated, guys. So why why didn't Chris McCarroll get a nomination? This, these are just like questions I have because I just feel like they totally like, they, they acted like it didn't exist. And that's why I feel like it got gypped. Chris McCarroll was a great Percy. Like, and it, it, it shouldn't matter the scale of the musical, it should matter the work that the actor put in and how he portrayed it to an audience, right? It should it should be based on his portrayal of the character and how well he did. And he did a really good job playing Percy Jackson. So I feel like he should have been nominated. And that's just my opinion. But congratulations to Aaron Tveit. I'm sure he's gonna, I'm sure he's gonna get 60% of the vote and win. I believe this is his first Tony. And if I'm not mistaken, this is maybe his first nom? I could be wrong, but that's super exciting for him. I just wish that these this other musical was, was looked at the same way of these other three. Oh, let's talk about best actress in a musical. This is, I feel like even though like there's only three nominations and it only came from three musicals, I feel like this is like a really interesting category. And I, I don't know, I couldn't tell you who I, I, I feel like I want to say that Adrian Warren in the Tina Turner musical, I feel like she might have the best chance. But also, I mean, I, I'm saying this totally based on nothing. I have not seen, I was not able to see any of these shows or any of these plays before um, the shutdown. So I I have no opinion other than things that I've heard through the grapevine. I've also heard Elizabeth Stanley is an incredible in Jagged Little Pill and obviously Karen Olivo and Moulin Rouge. But I, I don't know, I um, if I had to guess, I would say Adrian Warren might walk away with this one. And the last thing I wanna say is that please, whoever's looking out for her up there. Can we please give Audra her seventh Tony? Because dang it, she deserves it. I would just love to see it. I would, oh my gosh, wouldn't that be incredible? Seven Tony Awards, that's so amazing. I just want to see it. I, I really want this for her. I didn't even know that Frankie and Johnny was in the 2020 season. For some reason, I thought that that was out 
two or three years ago? I'm curious. I Maybe I totally read that wrong, but regardless, like, it doesn't matter. I want her to win. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure all of the other females nominated are phenomenal as well. I just feel like I really want this for her. It's like the same thing, like, with Sutton Foster. Like, I, I'd love to see her win the Tony for Marion. Just based off, like, I want to see her win another Tony. So, but who knows when that will be? 2021, 2022, 2050? Like, who knows when the next Tonys will be? Because we'll just have to wait for Broadway to open back up. That's my Tony tea talk. It, if you don't agree with me, that's okay. I'm just trying, I'm just here to share my opinions on how I feel about everything. Overall, I think it's great that they're, they put together this ceremony and it's, it's really great that they're going to get to celebrate all of the hard work that they put in pre-shutdown. So I can't wait to sit down and watch it. Um, I think it's going to be really fun, but I'm excited to see who, who's going to win and it's just going to be a fun night. All right. Now that we have those two segments out of the way, let's get into my obsessions of the week. Guys, I'm so excited. <sighs> Younger season seven started filming this past week. I'm really excited for a few reasons. The first one being, I'm just excited that some form of theater, some form of entertainment is able to open back up and people are able to go back to work and be employed again and I know it's not live theater but it's still really exciting to see my craft and the thing that I love most in the midst of this pandemic. So that's the first reason I'm really excited and the second reason is I love Younger so much. We have talked about this on the last episode. My obsession with Sutton Foster. I love everything that she does but I especially love her character Liza in Younger. Like, it's basically like I feel like I'm just watching her. Like, she's just being, like, goofy and, and I don't know. I just love the character so much. I am Team Josh. Just wanted to put that out there. And if you're Team Charles, you're probably going to end up a lot happier at the end of this than I am. But Season 7 is their final season. I'm not going to spoil it, but there was a cliffhanger at the end of Season 6 that just makes me think that my team Josh Hart is not going to be happy. I, I will be happy for Liza if she ends up with Charles. But I will be sad for Josh. But I know Josh will find his own, he'll get in his own groove and they'll live happily ever after no matter what. But that's just how I feel about that. I was really sad when they announced it was going to be the last season. But seven seasons of anything is a really good run. So congratulations to the entire cast and crew and creative team of Younger for running for seven seasons. It's a great show. It's on Hulu. Seasons one through six are on Hulu. So go check it out. They started filming. It's really exciting. Things are happening in the entertainment business. We're back on track. I think I also saw, I think a lot of um, filming is starting to pick up again. I, I'm pretty sure I saw something about Zoe's Extraordinary Playlist opening back up too. So that's really exciting. I'm, I'm so happy that the industry is, is beginning to open up, even in the smallest ways possible. Um, now all we have to do is get live theater back onto its feet. And it will take some time, but... We're going to do it. It's going to happen. And again, we're going to get through it together. My next obsession. I will say this is not necessarily a weekly obsession. This is an obsession that I've had for a while. It has to do with a musical. It has to... I feel like all of 
my obsessions this week are something they deal with Sutton Foster in some fo- some form, but that's just me. I'm I'm generally obsessed with her, so I'm going to be obsessed with a lot of the things that she's doing. There are two videos you can watch, but if you have not seen the rehearsal video of Sutton Foster's version of Anything Goes on YouTube, go look it up right now. If you are any fo- if you love theater, if you want to be an actress when you're older, if you've been a long-time theater lover and just have never seen it, go watch it. It is one of the most inspiring videos I've ever seen, and it's literally just, I mean, it's its just a, a number and anything goes. Like, they're just performing the number, nothing else. But as a performer, watching this clip is one of the most inspiring things that I think you can sit down and watch because it's showing you what a sport like theater is and how much goes into it and so many little details and just like it's just like watching everything come together. It's just so amazing. I mean, Sutton Foster is belting throughout this entire this entire song. But anyway, she's t- she's belting the whole time and then she does and the ensemble do a 5 to 6 minute tap break and then she comes back and sings this really long phrase everyone knows this phrase and anything goes where I don't know how she has the breath capacity to do this and then she's out here belting D's at the end of it and it's just like that is what musical theater is all about it it just brings an audience so much joy the performers are putting in so much work like guys like that's hard like I do like a two-minute tap routine or like dance whatever and that's exhausting. But to do a five minute, five to six, I don't even know how long it is. I want to say six minutes. Six minute tap break and then come out and just like belt your guts out. That's hard. And she does it so flawlessly. And the ensemble behind her, just like everything, it just creates this beautiful, beautiful picture and and moment. It's just, it's incredible to watch. And it's incredibly inspiring that one day I could be up there doing that you guys could be up there doing that. When I'm sad, when I'm in a rut, I watched this video probably like three times a day when we were going through the first parts of this pandemic because it just made me happy and it made me look forward to what I'm gonna be coming back to when all of this is over. And it's just, it's really inspiring. So go watch it. Anything goes, revival. You can either watch the rehearsal video, which is a personal fave because you get to see everything, or you can watch the Tony performance, which is amazing because they're all in costume and Sutton Foster is wearing these slacks that like could kill. Like it's, it's amazing. Go watch it. My weekly obsession. And my final obsession for the week is a book because we read in this household. Um, and I want to give some aspiring artist or, you know, current artist just some reading material I mean, this came out a long time ago, so it's nothing new, but it's something that I found during quarantine and really loved it. Okay, I'll tell you the title now. It's Someday, Someday, Maybe, written by Lauren Graham. And here we are again on the topic of my obsessions for actresses. We all know from the last episode, I'm obsessed with Lauren Graham. I won't go into detail about that again, but she wrote, this is a fiction novel, but it's about 
the ongoings of an actress trying to make it in New York City. Plain and simple as that. I feel like there aren't a lot of fiction novels about this. I And I feel like a lot of the times when you see stories told like this, it's told more in like a memoir type of thing. And it's so it's very autobiographical and not so much fiction and like made up characters and a little bit fantastical but I think it's so it's just written really well because I feel like it I mean obviously like Lauren Graham went through all this stuff she she has said that it's not like a memoir but like it is like based on you know things that she had to to go through when she was first trying to make it as a actress in New York City and yeah, it's just, it's a really cool read for artists, I think. You can also check out her, she has two other books that are, I, I think all of them are really good for aspiring artists. Her other book is called Talking As Fast As I Can, and then a graduation speech that she gave at a high school, she printed it into a book, and it's it's called In Conclusion, Don't Worry About It. And that's really like a really cool gift that you can give to um, a graduate. But yeah, I just really love that it's like a fiction novel about things that I want to go through or or about things that I'm probably going to have to go through at one point in my my career as a performing artist. So, yeah, if you're if you see it in the bookstore or I'm sure you can get it on Amazon or anywhere you can buy books, uh look into it. It's a really good read. And that concludes my obsessions of the week. And we are going to move right along to the musical of the week. This week's musical is into the woods guys again like i said i'm gonna change it up a little bit you know i like like the wine get better with age i don't know how many times i'm gonna make that metaphor but probably until i get tired of it so last time i feel like i did like a play-by-play of the sound of music and i'm not gonna do that with into the woods i'm just gonna i'm just gonna talk about you know some of my favorite moments my least favorite moments of course i'm gonna do my dream cast that is always going to happen. And I've got like a list of the songs in front of me. So I'll just like kind of go through those in my mind and tell you about moments that like stick out. And I'll talk about some of the themes. Into the Woods like a very heavy like theme musical. Like there's a lot of like underlying themes that like you might not catch if you just watch it. So I'm going to talk about that. And I'm going to start with a little segment that I'm going to call the Wikipedia synopsis. Because as we've learned, I'm not good at summarizing musicals. It takes me about an hour to do because I I just feel like there's too many details. So I'm going to read this synopsis that I pulled um, straight from Wikipedia. So we know it's reliable. (laughs) And I'm going to see if if I feel like this captures the true essence of the musical. Okay. Into the Woods is a musical with music and lyrics written by Stephen Sondheim and book by James Lapine. The musical intertwines the plots of several fairy tales, exploring the consequences of their characters, wishes, and quest. The main characters were taken from Little Red Riding Hood, Jack and the Beanstalk, Rapunzel and Cinderella, as well as several others. The musical is tied together by a story involving a childless baker and his wife and their quest to begin a family. Okay, that's the Wikipedia synopsis. I feel like it didn't explain it very well. I feel like it didn't actually give us plot. But I feel like it did its job as a synopsis. So let's get into the musical. We're going to start with the prologue. Guys, I think that this is one of the best opening songs in the musical theater canon. I mean, it's so Sondheim-esque where like you see all of the different stories in different segments 
and then you kind of see them how they're how they're going to intertwine and it's all kind of set up in the beginning very much like a fairy tale is structured but i feel like sondheim tends to do that with a few of his shows he kind of sets up the characters and their storylines and how they're going to progress together with these other storylines so we see everyone we see the baker and his wife and then we see Cinderella, and we see Jack and his mom, and we see Little Red Riding Hood at one point coming in. And then, of course, the witch, and she puts a curse on both of them. I just think that this is a really good opening to a musical. I feel like it does everything I want it to do. It's a, an eight-minute song. I feel like it does what I want an opening to do, especially in this type of a case scenario. And Sondheim is obviously one of the greatest composers of all time and I just love listening to the way that he can put music together with lyrics it's, it's just it's amazing he's he's a godsend he's incredible absolutely incredible okay guys let's talk about hello little girl okay what is the wolf what's happening with the wolf here I feel like this is the this this is the question of do you bring your children to see a production of into the woods or do you leave them at home and is this a um a teen show or like a mommy daddy date show you know what i'm saying because i feel like this there's a lot of mature content that can kind of go over kids heads so if they did see it i'm sure they wouldn't really pick up on it but the wolf is like kind of a, a child molester right like he is um very much getting into that territory and i don't know if you guys have seen the original costume of the wolf in Into the Woods, but, um, they didn't hide much. I mean, wolves don't wear clothing, and, uh, they really did show everything. So, I feel like there, there's a lot of, like, strong underlying things happening in that moment. Um, and I don't know if Little Red is just, you know, naive to that, or if she actually, like, knows what's happening, and she's being smart with the wolf, and, like, she, I, 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 I want to say that she understands what's going on and she's trying to act like she she's older than she is a little bit that's my thoughts on on little red well while while we're on this topic i'm just gonna hop around like i said i don't really want to give a play-by-play -play, so i'll just hop around let's go to i know things now and giants in the sky we we all understand the the themes that are surrounding these two songs obviously these two children are having some sexual awakenings in this musical. I don't know why it has to happen to both of them. I don't know why it had to happen to one of them. I don't know why Sondheim and James Pine were like, this is this is what needs to happen. This these are the directions we need to take these children and we need to show them that like we need to corrupt them before we can take them to act two is basically what they had they had to do. They were like, they can't go into act two being these naive little kids. They need to know things. And by the end of it, Little Red does know things now. It's so crazy because I feel like when you're young, a lot of young kids like sing I Know Things Now and Giants in the Sky. You don't really catch the um, innuendos that come along with those songs. It's just a fun song that, you know, a child character is singing. So why wouldn't a child sing it? But I'll, I'll tell you this. I was given I Know Things Now as a cut to sing in a singing camp that I, w I went to when I was maybe 12 or 13. I was given this cut 
And this is the first time I realized another guy was given Giants in the Sky and we were talking about it. And this was like the first time I realized that there was a lot um, deeper meaning behind these two songs than I had ever originally known about. But yeah, I mean, now that I'm talking about it, I think it is important that these kids are, you know, taken through something before they can get to act two and deal with all of the things that happen and all of the crap that they have to go through in that part of the show. So at first I didn't really understand it, but now I do, I get it. The next thing I wanna talk about is Rapunzel's storyline. Guys, I don't like it. I just feel like it's it's over-dramatized, but it's not an important plot line. It is for the witch, I guess. They don't put enough behind the Rapunzel storyline. They just kind of like throw it out into the air and then come back to it every once in a while. And it's just so, guys, it's so over-dramatized. I mean, I, I, and I feel like they write Rapunzel as this super one-dimensional character who just pops in and sings her song, her, not even her song, just her like melody every once in a while. And then all of the sudden her prince gets his eyes poked out and she cries and revives him. (laughs) I don't know, guys, I don't know. And then she has twins, and then she, well, we'll get to this in the second act, but you know, you know what happens to her in the end, but the story's super underdeveloped. I, I think that might be one of my least favorite parts of the show. I love the witch. Let's not, let's not get this, um, twisted. The witch is absolutely my favorite character in the whole show, but I just feel as as far as Rapunzel goes in the show, I feel like she's just there to provide something for the witch to feed off of. And then I, but then I feel like they tried to create storyline for her and made it super one-dimensional and just didn't do a very good job of it. Let's talk about Cinderella's storyline. I guess they do cover it a little bit, but I'm curious as to, like, why is Cinderella actually running away from the prince? But I feel like she understands that there's not really a spark between the two of them, but she feels obligated to be with him, but she doesn't, she doesn't feel the spark, so she runs away so that she doesn't have to deal with it. And I think that's what a very nice prince might be about. Of course, she explains within that that she just doesn't feel like she's good enough for him because he's royalty and she's like kind of the maid and dresses in rags all the time and is just demeaned by her stepmother and her stepsisters and could never actually, you know, live up to his royal standards. But I don't know. I feel like there's got to be something else. I I don't think that that's total justification for her just like running away from him when he's obviously in love with her. But then of course she does get to the song Steps on the Palace and devises this incredible plan to leave her shoe and that's how he's gonna find her because no one else could possibly have the same shoe size as you Cinderella you are just too special (laughs) I never understood I get it I get it's a fairy tale and it's not real life but like seriously no one else has the same shoe size as you in the entire town come on Cindy you're not that special come on girl but of course it's a fairy tale i feel like cinderella's storyline is not is not the central one although it can seem like it is at sometimes but of course i feel like my favorite storyline is that of the witch the baker and the baker's wife 
And of course, this is kind of the central storyline. He has to go into the wood, or they have to go into the woods and find all of the items because the witch has been cursed with this ugly old age curse because they stole vegetables and beans from her. And then of course they find the beans and use them to buy the cow as white as milk. Jack, what are you doing, Jack? I just, I feel like this this was another like unrealistic thing that would happen. Like, why would you sell your precious cow for beans? You can't actually believe that those beans are magical. I mean, they they end up kind of being magical, but come on, Jack, think this through a little bit. Or go up your beanstalk and have some more time with the giants and, and figure some things out. Come on, Jack. But the baker and the baker's wife are two of my favorite characters. I really enjoy the dynamic and the journey that they go through. I feel like I'm talking about this as if act one is one story and then act two is like a completely separate story. It's really crazy the way this this show is written because obviously there's a junior version of the show and it's only act one. And act one can very much stand alone like as its own show. It has an opening and the, I mean, the end song ever after is very much like a, a story ending song. So when, whenever I'm talking about this stuff, just remember that I'm in act one, not into act two yet. But I really like the the bakers and the baker's wife dynamic I just feel like I feel like the baker's wife wears the pants and I that just makes me happy um <laughs> in their relationship but I mean they really can't like neither of them can do it alone and that is something that you know like you need people and that I think that's a central theme is that everyone needs someone in in life like you can't go through life trying to conquer it on your own like you need family or you need friends or you need someone to be there with you, to celebrate the good times, to be a shoulder to cry on in in the devastating times. And the world just, wow, we're getting deep here, but the world, we need each other. We can't turn on each other because we're all each other has. And that is how I tied that into It Takes Two between the baker and the baker's wife, because they can't get the, they can't get all the items on their own. They needed each other. And I just think that that's a really, that was a really cute way of bringing the two of them together towards the end. And then of course, let's talk about the witch. Oh, I love the witch. The witch is my favorite character. She is an all-time dream role for me. I just, I feel like she's so deep and dynamic as a character. She just has, she has so many flaws, but she doesn't really acknowledge them, and she makes her flaws powerful, and that power is sometimes her own demise. But she just owns everything that she does and she owns everything that she says and she doesn't question it. She just moves forward without looking back. And I just think she's a really cool character. And I mean, her, she's obviously like the central point of all of these storylines intertwining. Like she's the one who sent them out to get the items. Her sole purpose is a little bit selfish because she wants the potion to turn her beautiful again. But I think she has good intentions. Let's talk about her as a mother. Is she a good mother or is she a really bad mother? I want to say that in her mind, this is the way I like to look at characters that are perceived as evil or villainous. In their mind, they are not the villain of their story. They are simply doing what they need to do to survive or to get by, right? So in her mind and from her perspective, she is protecting Rapunzel from the outside world and from all of the scary, dangerous things of the world. Is this what is best for Rapunzel? Absolutely not. Like you can't be, you can't trap someone in a room 
room and tell them that you can't go live your life because something could go wrong. That is not the way to do that. But from the witch's perspective, that's the best way. No, I don't think she's a good parent, but she loves her child to death and she's doing what she thinks she needs to do. And from her perspective, she is a good mother. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is how you play an evil villainous role. That is the perspective you have to, you know, go at it from. I love playing the evil roles. I, I mean, my entire childhood, I was always cast as the villain, but I played the Queen of Hearts in Alice in Wonderland, Corella Deville in 101 Dalmatians, and get ready, everyone. Get ready, this is the kicker. Edgar in the Aristocats. That's right. My starring coveted role as an 11-year-old was Edgar and the Aristocats. But playing the evil characters were the most fun because it was kind of like there was no boundaries. You could do whatever you wanted. And because those characters within themselves don't have boundaries, they do what they need to do to get further in life. And I just, I don't know. I, it, there's something fun about getting inside the the mindset of like an, an evil person and portraying that to an audience. It's fun. But then of course, when you're when the show is over, you go back to being sweet and kind and generous to everyone. That is how you should live your life. Let's see, is there anything I haven't talked about in act 1 yet? The princes. The princes, they don't need too much, but we're going to talk about agony. Oh, it's just so hard being royal and rich and wanted, isn't it? It's just the most oh, it's just like so such a strenuous task to to be gorgeous and wanted by two very pretty women. I, I think that this song is like the, the perfect satire song for the the way that men think sometimes. It's just, it's, oh, it's, it's, it's a great comedy song. It's a great moment in the show. And it's, it's really, I feel like it sets up the princes really well. Like you really see like how their perspective and how they view themselves and, and women in this society. And it's just, I just think it's a, a perfect sat satirical song. It's so funny. It's one of the best in the show. It's always a, a crowd pleaser. Okay, that's act one. Let's move on to the less joyous act two. This, okay, the first time I ever saw Into the Woods, it was the junior version. So like, of course, they all lived happily ever after. Let me tell you, the first time I sat down and watched Into the Woods as a full show, I was a wreck. I did not understand what was happening in this fairy tale town. Why was this happening to all the people? The the baker and his wife finally get a baby. The Cinderella finally gets her prince. Little Red gets all the sweets she wants and Jack and his mother are rich. Everything's going good until act 2. Oh, act two is just like, it like will really just like, it'll really just get you. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's very, I uh, want to compare it to Fiddler on the Roof a little. I mean, this happens in like a lot of musicals, but specifically I was in Fiddler on the Roof. So like, this is one that like really stuck out. But like, just comparing act one to act two of a show. Oof, it's just not pretty. Everything, everything goes wrong. Everything is destroyed. Of course, we have the, the, the second giant from the second bean, and then she just comes and terrorizes everything and ruins everything and kills so many people. Can you imagine, like, young Kelsey, young, naive, innocent Kelsey just sitting down to watch a good musical about fairy tales, and then all of a sudden she gets to act two, and people are dying, and adultery is happening in so many ways. But 
let's talk about it. So we start with the prologue. Obviously, everyone is so happy because they just had their happy ever after. Like I said, everything is going exactly the way that everyone wanted their happy ending to go. Is Agony Reprise really the first song after that? Okay, well, let's talk about it. The two princes turn on their wives so suddenly. And at this point, I mean, Rapunzel's prince has two children and they like ran off together and then they come back and Rapunzel's like crazy town at this point. So maybe I understand like him, but like Cinderella's prince, come on, he's just a douchebag. Like he just wants to find the prettiest girl who walks through the door and that's who he wants to sleep with next. And that's what Agony Reprise is about. I don't know which one, I don't remember which one is getting which one, but basically one of them is singing about Sleeping Beauty and the other is singing about Snow White and how she's the fairest maiden of them all now and they don't want to be with their wives anymore. And it's just like, that's, that's not great of them. So of course the giant comes in and terrorizes and she wants to find Jack. And a lot of, there's a lot more, I feel like there's a lot more uh, acting, speaking lines as opposed to the first act. Um, and there's a lot more scene work in the second act. So of course, they're all like, what do we do? What do we do? What do we do? I believe at this point, Rapunzel has died and Jack's mother has died and the narrator has died. I think those are all the deaths at this point. So let's go back to my Rapunzel thing. Like she's, right? She's just so underdeveloped because then, I mean, after the first act, she comes in on like one scene and gets trampled by the giant. Like she's just like, why is she there? And I mean, of course she's there for the witch to have a reaction, but just an underdeveloped character that I'm not too fond of her whole storyline. And we've already talked about that. So we'll move on. Oh, the witch sings Children Will Listen, which is the witch's lament. And oh, what a beautiful moment in the show. That's one of my favorites for sure. It's heartbreaking, right? Oh, you know what? It kind of proves that she, the witch was kind of right, you know? Like the first moment that Rapunzel steps out of the tower, she gets trampled by a giant and dies. Like, wow. I mean, still, don't lock your children in a tower for 18 years, but like, I mean, she kind of proved her point there, right? We're now with the prince and the baker's wife. Oh, I love the baker's wife, but why? I just, like, I mean, of course, she had a moment in the woods. She got caught up in the moment. The prince was being douchey. He seduced her, and of course, like, he's royalty, and she's like, ugh, royalty. But why? Like, I feel like, I feel like her and the baker, besides, like, the struggles of having a newborn child, which of course is, like, a lot, but, like, couples deal with it all the time like they weren't really having issues so why did she cheat with the prince i don't fully understand her motivations behind that but i do appreciate the song moments in the woods i think it's a really well written song again one of my probably one of my favorite songs in the show okay let's discuss this how does the baker's wife die? She doesn't get trampled. I think she falls off of like a, the edge of like a cliff or something, but she definitely dies. And that death, let me tell you, that death was like the biggest shock of them all. Like the first time that I saw the baker's wife die, I no way, she's the main, she's one of the main character. I would, I would go to say that she is the third main character of the show. Like we, we go with the witch, the baker, and then there's the baker's wife. And then I would say Cinderella comes after her. But what are they doing killing her for? I, I feel like I was really, that was like the saddest death of them all. So I'm, I was really sad. We're gonna move on now. <laughs> all right, enough of the sadness. Let's get to one of the best moments in the show. This song is so clever. It's so well-written. It's really fun. And it's just an, a good watch. Your Fault 
is one of my favorite moments. Everyone's just blaming everyone. And of course, the witch is being over there like, you guys are all fools. Like, what are you doing? Like, shut up and like, just give the giant what she wants and this will all be over with. But the fighting that happened, and also like, I just, the song is so good. I don't, I don't even know like what to say about it other than like, good job, Stephen Sondheim. Like, amazing, amazing song you've written there, sir. Oh, and then we get to the last midnight. The witch is just so powerful. She is such a powerful character. What an amazing way for her to go out. Just like, you're, you know what? You're not right. And you think that you're good, but you're not. I'm not, I may not be good either, but at least I know what I'm talking about. And at least I'm not trying to hide behind all of these other things to to prove something. I'm just me. I'm just open. I will tell you how it is. And that's the way it is. And I can't deal with you fools anymore. She's just so open. And she it's so powerful. And The Last Midnight is the best way for a character to go out. That's all I have to say. I'm not going to talk about no more. I don't like the storyline with the baker and his dad. I think it's silly. I think it it doesn't make sense in my mind. So I'm not going to talk about it. It's a fine song. Moving on. To No One Is Alone. Oh... Guys, if you don't cry during this song, like, what are you doing? Like, this song gets me every time. And I don't, I I really hardly ever cry watching a movie, watching a television show, watching a performance. But, like, this song is just written in a way that it will get you. And it, again, just ties it back to the overall theme. We need people on our journeys through life. We need people. We cannot do it alone. And you're never alone because you, even if you feel like you are, you always have someone looking out for you in some capacity. It just kind of wraps up the whole show. I think it's a great, it's just a great moment. And then of course, the finale when all the the dead ones come back and sing with them and the baker's wife sings to the baker who doesn't think he can take care of her, her child. Great moment, great ending, really somber ending, but nonetheless, what a great show, guys. Like this show was one of my favorites growing up. I never got to be in it because it always... The, the community theater that I participated in growing up did it like the one summer. I went away to like a summer intensive that summer, summer theater intensive. So I didn't get to be in it. And I I was just, I've, I'm just upset that I've never been in this. My college actually did it with um, the seniors when I was a sophomore, I believe. They did it and they had a really cool interpretation of it. It was like, they set it in like a school type of setting and then they transformed it into that being the woods and um, the projection work was amazing. But yeah, this is just, it's such a good show. I mean, Sondheim is an absolute genius with his orchestrations, like literally like, like, I'm, I feel like I'm I'm in dreamland when I listen to Sondheim's music. It's just, it's so well written. He's so clever. He's an absolute genius. Okay, let's talk about a couple themes that I didn't get to. So I feel like one of the themes was growth and how we grow as humans based on experiences that we've had. I think the biggest examples of this are uh, Little Red and Jack. I mean, they go through a whole sexual awakening and become very different characters by the end. And I mean, like, all of them do. Cinderella, definitely a different character than what she was at the beginning. I mean, I mean, she sets it all up. Like, what's the point of being good if everyone else is mean to you? Why not just be mean with them? And then obviously, she doesn't follow what she says. She continues to be nice and things really work out for her in the end. I mean, the witch is an entirely different person by the end of it. I think she finds... 
I think she feels power at the beginning because she has like these magical powers. But then of course, once she becomes beautiful, she loses her magic. But then along the way, I think she finds that she has that, the power has been within her the whole time. She doesn't necessarily need the magic to prove it. She is powerful, period. Yeah, I think that that growth and working hard for what you want is a, is a big theme in this musical. We've already kind of talked about is the witch good or bad. But, you know, I again, I think that the witch is, is, is correct in saying that I'm not good, I'm not bad, I'm just right. And I think that she was. Maybe she's not the best role model for everyone, but like in her own way, like she, she handled things in the way that she thought was best. All right, that is the show, everyone. That is Into the Woods. Okay, what? What am I going to rate? Oh, wait, before I rate it, let's talk about my Dreamcast. Yay! Dreamcast, Dreamcast. This segment is called the Dreamcast. We'll work on it. <laughs> Don't worry about it. Okay, let's start with the narrator slash the mysterious man. Andre de Shields, anyone? Herm- current Hermes in Hadestown? I mean, come on. I want I want him to take everything he does in Hadestown and I want him to bring it to Into the Woods and I want to see the difference that makes. I think he's perfect for that role. The witch, Katrina Link? Come on. One of the most dynamic, powerful actresses in the industry right now? I want it. Obviously, a lot of my dream cast, my original dream cast, kind of happened in uh, the Hollywood Bowl. I loved it. I loved, we love to see Patina Miller as the witch. We love to see Sutton Foster as the baker's wife. We love to see Sierra Boggs as Cinderella. We love to see Cheyenne Jackson as Cinderella's prince, but we just love to see Cheyenne Jackson whenever Cheyenne Jackson appears in front of us. So, you know, I don't, I didn't want to pull from casts that have already happened, but I think Katrina Link would absolutely kill the role of the witch. Come back to the baker because I have some things to say and I'm, I don't know if I'll cast the baker. I haven't found the perfect fit for it. I don't, I feel like I have options and I just, they don't feel right. So I'm not going to cast him. I'm just going to leave it open. You, you cast your own baker and you let me know in a review. If you want to leave a review, let me know. Um, the baker's wife, again, I would have, I would have said Sutton Foster. We all know that I have a Sutton Foster obsession. That's just the, the deal. She already played the baker's wife. So my next choice is going to be Heidi Blickenstaff. Is that how you say her last name? That's how it's spelled. I feel like I didn't say it right, but you guys know who I'm talking about. The original Bay in Something Rotten. She was in Title of Show. She was in Freaky Friday. I think she has that baker's wife presence that I want to see. Cinderella. Now, I have two different options for Cinderella, one being a little bit older and one being a little bit younger, but I feel like both would have really different interpretations on Cinderella. So my first one is Erica Henningsen, and I picked Erica because she has this very light, mixy sound that I want to hear from Cinderella, but she's also like, she's a little bit quirky. She's she's very princessy. She has a very princessy quality to her voice and to her accent. Acting, I think. Most recently seen as Katie Heron in Mean Girls. She did phenomenal in. And then my second option is Kara Lindsay, one of my favorite Broadway actresses. I feel like she would bring something really different to Cinderella because I also feel like Kara would be a really good baker's wife, but I feel like I want to I want to see what her interpretation of Cinderella is a little bit more. So that's my Cinderella casting. Rapunzel, I have to, I have to. The only reason, the only reason Rapunzel is here is for us to hear hear that beautiful oh 
that was my BFA singing. Thank you very much. I want to hear Na Ava Noblezada sing that all the time. I'm telling you, her voice is a and so angelic, heavenly. I want to hear it. I'm not gonna say anything else. Um, Jack. Okay, Chris McCarroll. Shout out Percy Jackson, Lightning Thief. I I want to see it. He will probably read too old to play Jack. However, he did a really good job of playing a kid in as Percy Jackson, and I think that he would bring a really interesting perspective to to Jack. So that's my casting. Again, my dream cast. Get your own. Okay, this one is one of my favorites because I feel like it's a one. I want to see this interpretation. I want this to happen. Jack's mom and Granny. I want to see Kristen Chenoweth. I want to see Kristen Chenoweth as Granny, this crazy woman who cuts up wolves and then I want to see her as Jack's mom because I can just like see her like walking over being like Jack what are you doing like in in her Christian Chinoweth way I want to see it happen Cinderella's Prince and Rapunzel's Prince listen this is perfect casting and I don't care what you say I want to see Jeremy Jordan as Cinderella's Prince and I want to see Jonathan Groff as Rapunzel's Prince and if you question that at all you can just YouTube Jeremy Jordan and Jonathan Groff let me be your star Okay, just go YouTube that and you won't disagree with me. That's the casting. It's it's got to happen. It's the it, it I need it. I need those two to play princes opposite of each other. Little Red. Presley Ryan, maybe? I'm I tried to think of some young actresses in the business right now, and she's really the first one that came to mind. Um she was little Allison in Fun Home, and she most recently was uh took over for Sophia and Caruso in as Lydia in Beetlejuice, and I think that she is perfect for the role. I mean, I mean, I, I don't understand. Like, I, I don't see her, her not being a good Little Red. I think she, she would kill the role. So that's my casting for Little Red. The Wolf, I mean, I had to throw my man Jelani Aladdin in there. I'm sure there are better options for the Wolf, but I want the Wolf to be sexy. Um, the Stepsisters. Can I please get Lindsay Mendez and Ashley Park to be the Stepsisters in Into the Woods? Two great dynamic comedic actresses. They would be brilliant together. And then, of course, rounding it out, the stepmother, Alex Newell. Come on. Come on. He, he would bring that, like, super sassy, powerful take on the stepmother. I think he'd be great. That's my dream cast. And that is rounding out the segment of favorite musical. We'll talk about my favorite moments. I have... And my least favorite moments. We'll start with my least favorite moments. Of course, I've already talked about it. Rapunzel storyline. Eh, I could do without. And I've talked about this too. The interaction between the mysterious man and the baker. Moving on to my favorite moments. Honorable mention. I had to give it to Moments in the Woods when performed by Sutton Foster. Guys, I know you're probably totally tired of hearing it. But literally, go YouTube. Sutton Foster, Moment in the Woods. It's like watching a vocal performance masterclass. I mean, she, like, it's so, she is so in the moment. It's just like everything is behind her eyes. Like, it's literally, I'm watching a masterclass and acting when I'm watching her sing this song. So that's my honorable mention. My bronze goes to No One Is Alone, of course. My silver medal goes to Your Fault. And my gold medal goes to, of course, The Last Midnight. Like I said, the best way for a character to go out. So powerful, so dynamic. My favorite part. And now, I'm gonna rate this musical. Guys, I'm gonna give it 9 out of 10 female giant voiceovers. Yay! <laughs> I think it's that good, and I stand by that. Okay, now that we have finished with the musical segment of the week, we are going to move on to one of my favorite parts of the show, the game. We are not going to repeat the game from last week because I horribly failed, and I would 
appreciate not to expose myself to the four viewers that listen to this podcast again. So, a question I get asked quite a bit is, Kelsey, what is your favorite musical? And of course, I cannot answer that question, you guys. Like, that's like asking a mother who her favorite child is. Like, every, all of these musicals are good for different reasons. They all have their moments. And I just can't bring myself to answer that question. So what we're going to do tonight is force me to answer that question. We're going to play Would You Rather Kelsey? favorite musicals. So what I've, I have done is I have put in, I don't know, maybe like 10, 10-ish of my favorite musicals into a uh, simulator and it's going to give me two at a time and I'm going to have to pick which one I would rather and whichever one I click will go into like the next round and then I'll get two different ones and by the end of it they'll all be competing and I'll get to my final two and we will have answered the question of what is Kelsey's favorite musical and that is the one I will be telling people from now on because I'm tired of being like I don't know don't ask me that question all musicals are different we're all made in different ways like every, they all have their good moments but tonight we're gonna ask the tough questions okay here we go Kelsey's favorite musicals would you rather the sound of music or dog fight oh I don't like this game already that's so hard okay I love dog fight a lot but I just don't feel like it stands up to the quality of Sound of Music. So for that, I'm going to say goodbye to Dogfight. I'm gonna keep the Sound of Music. This is gonna be a long night. All right, next we have, ooh, Mamma Mia or Finding Neverland. Oh, again, such good musicals for different reasons. I think I wanna say Finding Neverland. I just feel like that is a story I want to get behind more than Mamma Mia, but I will probably be jamming to ABBA in my shower tonight. So it's still, it's still a favorite, but not against Finding Everland. All right, next we have, oh no, oh no, we have Chicago versus Pippin. This is just simply not nice. I'm gonna have to go with Chicago. I love Pippin. Pippin was actually, the first time I saw it, I was at a camp, a theater camp in New York called Camp Broadway, and they took us to see Pippin, and I swear to God, I changed, <laughs> at the time I was real, I was younger, and my favorite musical was Wicked by, like, bar none, and I changed it to Pippin after seeing Pippin. My, my parents were in the process of, like, decorating my room, and they had just painted it green, and if you know, you know, I have a green room, a uh, childhood bedroom, but I, after seeing Pippin, I was like, Pippin is, I think it's my new favorite favorite musical and my mom was like oh no we are not repainting that bedroom purple for Pippin regardless I love Pippin but Chicago wins the day okay next um Beauty and the Beast or Into the Woods I am gonna have to say Into the Woods this is an Into the Woods podcast I stick by that sorry Beauty and the Beast you've gotta go Newsies or Mean Girls I have to go with Newsies I love Mean Girls it's a great musical but Newsies wins the day. Oh, this is the worst pairing. Anything goes or wicked. Oh no, oh no, oh no. I can't pick between those two. They're good for different reasons. Oh no, okay, I'm sorry. I'm gonna pick wicked. Oh, I'm sorry, anything goes. I love you so much. I love you so much. Wow, I feel really bad. This is hard, it's just so hard. Okay, next is Waitress or Finding Neverland. I'm gonna have to say Waitress. Waitress has been a favorite for a while now, and I think it's the fre my freshest favorite. Next is Newsies or Into the Woods. Hmm, 
I'm, oh, sorry, Newsies. Goodbye. I'm gonna go with Into the Woods on that one. Oh, this is why I never have an answer because I always go to say something and then I'm like, oh, but wait, this musical is also good. And then this one. Oh, but this is good for the, another reason. It's a mess. Just, just refrain from asking me the question, people. Okay, next we have Chicago or The Sound of Music. <sighs> Both really, really good. I'm gonna go with The Sound of Music. I'm sorry, Chicago. Roxy Hart, Velma Kelly, you'll live on in my heart forever. Okay, and now we have Waitress or Wicked. Dang it. Oh, man. Hmm. I, oh, I'm, I'm gonna go with, I'm gonna go with Wicked. Waitress is really, really good, you guys. I feel like it, it came along on a bad Tony year because of Hamilton, but I feel like any other year, Waitress would have done really, really well in, in Tony season. Okay, Into the Woods or The Sound of Music. I am gonna have to say, wow. Oh, you know what? I gave Sound of Music 8 out of 10, and I gave Into the Woods 9 out of 10. So I'm gonna have to say Into the Woods. And now, okay, we're in the championship bracket. We have Wicked or Into the Woods. These are really not the two I thought I would be picking between. I feel like some of the ones that like came up against Wicked earlier probably should have made. I feel like I really thought Anything Goes would be in the finale or even Waitress. Okay. Okay. They both have really good writing both ways. It's the Battle of the Stevens, guys. Schwartz or Sondheim. Oh man. Um all right, guys. I'm 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 sorry. My childhood wins out. I have to say Wicked. Wow. Did I just pick the most cliche musical theater answer ever? Did I just say that Wicked is my favorite musical of all time? I mean, it my my room my bedroom is completely lime green and I have the words defying gravity over the top of this is my childhood bedroom not my current bedroom let's not get that twisted but I feel like it's only right that Wicked wins next week or if I ever do this again I'll put in some I'll put in some more and maybe bracket them a little better so that I know what's going on but all right guys and here we are, the final segment of the afternoon, or of the evening, or of the morning, whenever you're listening to this podcast. We have Kelsey's BFA advice column. This is where I give a piece of advice that maybe I've learned in college um, throughout my theater program. Maybe just life advice. Maybe something inspiring for those of you who are looking to go into musical theater. Um, some advice about auditioning. Today's advice column is always have an opinion and don't be afraid to share it. This is one of the most important things I learned throughout my four years of college was always have a point of view on something and use it to your to your benefit. Use it in in the if you're playing a character. What is their point of view? What is their opinion of what the situation that's that's happening before them? It totally helps you jump into the characters you're playing and then in, in just like life or finding material to audition with or just like being yourself in an audition, have an opinion. And if someone else has an opposing opinion, talk it out with them and go with your gut. Just like don't be afraid to use your voice and to say what you have to say. This is a huge reason I'm doing this podcast is because I've always been super shy to like share like what I have to say and share my opinion on something because of fear of being wrong or a fear of sounding like I'm dumb. But like, don't hold back. Like you will be so much happier. You will be so much more successful if you are able to form your own opinion about something and then share it with the group. 
of people. And whether that be sharing your opinion about something in class, or sharing your opinion through your performance, or sharing your opinion about how you view yourself as a performer, and what material you should be um, using and finding. And this kind of goes into like, just like, be yourself, and be your own person, and don't let other people influence you throughout your journey. That is my advice of the week. Always have an opinion and be yourself. Guys, that is the end of this podcast. Thank you so much for listening. You can find this podcast um, anywhere you listen to podcasts. That can be Spotify and also Apple Podcasts, which is the little purple podcast um, app that is already installed onto your iPhone. I only recently started using, using that. You can find me on Instagram at underscore Kelsey McFall, K-E-L-S-E-Y-M-C-F-A-L-L underscore. You can find me on TikTok at KelseyMC137. Um, I do a podcast with my brother called McFall Squared, if you want to give that a a listen. Um, He also has a podcast. It's about international relations, if you're interested in, in those types of things. It's called around the world in 80 minutes, I believe. Um, So check those things out. And it would really help me out if you guys uh, give this podcast a rating or a review. That helps me out a lot. So if you feel the need to to leave me a, a comment and tell me how well or how horrible I'm doing, or if you love listening to me jabber, or if you're like, oh my god, woman, stop talking, just go ahead and leave it. Yeah, that would that helps me out a lot. So thank you guys so much for coming. Um, I will see you guys next time. Bye!